and welcome to episode 18 of Live from Raiders Castle. Uh, you you joined today by one of your co-hosts, John Lee, and the other one, Dan McQuarrie. How are you, Dan? Hello, I'm good. Um, I've been excited for this episode for like a month, um, so I've been, I've been waiting and ready to go. So I've got, I've got plenty of things to say this episode, I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, I mean, we've got a very exciting episode today. Um, we'll be discussing the book for our book club this month. So obviously, over the last month, me and Dan have been reading uh, The Rising Storm, the latest novel in the High Republic series. Uh, and we're going to be discussing it today on the podcast. So I, as you said, I'm very excited to get into it, into the discussion and just see what we both thought about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited. I think this is a book that um, a lot of people within the uh, within the Star Wars community have been have been tiptoeing around talking about for the past month because it is very much an Empire Strikes Back level of plot twists and big reveals. Um, so we will be getting very deep in spoilers. We'll have a little overall thoughts first without spoilers just before we go in just in case we've got someone listening right now who needs to be persuaded to go pick up the book we'll, we'll do our due, due diligence there but yeah very excited i was a, I'm a big fan of this book and I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it yeah i mean i must say going off the, the last two high republic books i've read i was i was very curious about whether the level of uh, greatness could be maintained and i have to say i've not been disappointed i think they've even managed to take it up a notch uh so if you need persuading to read the book that's that's what i've got to say i mean you you need it this is a book in your life that you need uh, yeah. i don't think i've read so many pages in like one sitting uh, for quite a while <laughs> i was steaming through it one yeah. night i think i must have read about 150 pages in one yeah. go just couldn't put it down yeah, I was I was getting like little messages from John like as he was reading it when just sort of stuff happened, and then it it just like kept on coming in, and he was like, "I've finished," and I was like, "Oh, Matt, you've really gone for it." <laughs> but I mean, I was the same. I, my book arrived, I think, on a Tuesday, and it was finished by the Thursday. It was literally two days of just reading it flat out. Um, I think this is not only my favorite High Republic novel so far but just my favorite star wars novel maybe even just favorite book full stop that i've ever read i loved it i've i've read it a second time or listened to it went for the audio but the second time and it holds up just as much on the second time around holy shit this book is good it is really good it's i mean it's probably up there for me and like best star wars you know one of my favorite star wars stories you know, when you include some of the films and stuff ever told, really, really big fan of it. And um, I don't really know if I can give it a more more glowing recommendation than that, to be honest. <laughs> Kevin Scott has done a great job. No, he really has. Yeah. I mean, I, I think apart from the graphic or the comic series that's coming at the moment, this might be the first thing I've read of Kevin Scott's. Um, so obviously I've enjoyed the comic series, I'm sure we've mentioned before on this podcast, but I hadn't really read any of his like proper literature, but getting into this, I might have to say I might have to look on uh, Amazon and see what other stuff he's written because if it's as high quality as this, oh baby, yeah, he's really good. He did the um, the Dooku Jedi Lost um, sort of audio drama that you can either listen to as an audio drama or read as a script paperback, and that's really good. Dooku Jedi Lost. Um, Obviously, yeah, his High Republic series is really good. And then he did a really good IDW comic series called um, Beware Vader's Castle, which is, 
you know, I feel like we're going to have to go into detail about that one at some point in the future, just because it fits our brand. But it's like really interesting little sort of horror stories told within, you know, the confines of Fader's Castle, which is really cool. But yeah, I think he's a great author and I'm really excited to see what else what else he gets up to in the future with Star Wars. And it's a lot because he's a very busy man. <laughs> well, I hope so, yeah. I can't wait to see what more stuff he turns out. I mean, thankfully as well, me and you have both been, uh, both managed to get signed editions, which is obviously a very, very nice thing to add to the collection, especially because yeah. it's such a good book. It eventually arrived, book. thanks to Forbidden Planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, did you want, you want to ages, didn't it? Yeah. I think yeah. mine wasn't, too bad but i think yours took an especially long amount of time yeah when i realized how long it was going to be i went on amazon prime and and next day delivered a normal hardback copy because i just couldn't wait any longer i was getting paranoid about spoilers on twitter so i was just like i just need to get this book and read it which i did and luckily didn't have anything spoiled for me um but yeah i think we'll um we'll we'll wave our hands right now that from this point onwards in the book review discussion where we're going to get deep into spoilers so if you haven't read it and you don't want anything spoiled go away buy the book read it if you haven't read light of the jedi first read that one first then read the rising storm it'll be worth it and then come back and listen to the rest of this uh this great discussion and um, when i said go away there that sounded really rude i didn't <laughs> kindly leave so we don't spoil this great book for you but yeah, we'll we'll dive deep into spoilers from this point onwards. But I kind of just the reason I went on that tangent is because when it came to the big plot twists, you know, character deaths, etc., I was very shocked and surprised. So I'm glad I didn't get anything spoiled for me because um, that was one of my big fears. And that's the reason why I read the book in two days, because I was just like, oh, Twitter. And there were so many people like tweeting Cameron Scott being like, you're a monster. And I was like, what has he done? Why is he a monster? What's happened? And then obviously we found out why. And uh, I've been in pain ever since I read this book. I really have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I was the same, wasn't I? I mean, I messaged you as soon as I finished reading it and it was just like, pain. Like we had such a high and now... I feel crushed. She's like, I feel like it's just how Star Wars goes like, these days. Like, I think I've said, yeah. I've said before on the podcast, like, like you, you know, it's a good Star Wars story when like it's fit, left you feeling emotional. And uh, yeah, put, at the end of this book, closing the final page, I was definitely feeling emotional. So that that ticks off that that little uh, check mark for me to show it's a good Star Wars story. Yeah, I had the, uh, I had the the sad message from John of being like, um, well, we'll just get straight into it. The very sad message from John being like, oh yes, Bell and Loden back together again. And I was like, oh no, he doesn't know what's coming, does he? <laughs> and then about 30 minutes later, I just had oh, <laughs> pain, <laughs> pain and suffering. And uh, yeah, that, that basically sums up this book, to be honest, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering and the, the death of a beloved character who we got back 30 pages earlier loading great storm literally on the final sentence of the book is just him turning to dust um that was you know there's a lot of incredible things that happened in this book that we'll go into detail on but this is the lasting <laughs> the lasting effect that this book has on you is that the last thing you read is that loading great storm is dead after just coming back so um yeah pain and suffering <laughs> sadness yeah big pain it's like at the end of the book as well 
So obviously you read that line and you're like, oh Christ. And then there's um. I think it's like a blank page and then uh, there's a I can just see I saw through the page there was like loads of more writing and I was like oh okay like I know sometimes in books they do like the first few pages are like what's coming next and I was like well the next book isn't coming out for a while so I doubt they've done this but I was hoping and praying that they'd be like the first chapter in the next book and it would start off on a happier note but no it was just acknowledgements and I was like alright okay that's just a waste of my time then I got my hopes up acknowledgements yeah yeah I think well, I mean, let's let's talk about Loden here because this is probably a good place to start seeing it's, you know, genuinely this death really, really got to me because coming out of Light of the Jedi, I loved Loden and Bell, like that relationship. I, I absolutely loved it. All the stuff of him, you know, pushing Bell from high places and Bell learning to land, all of that stuff I absolutely loved. But Loden himself is just such a cool Jedi. He was so powerful, but... um good and you know strong with the light side of the force and everything you'd love to see and then obviously with that book ending with marky on row capturing him you know leaving him in torture i was like oh no i'm hoping that the rising storm is going to be the rescuing loading great storm book and then to you know have the book start a year later with him nowhere to be seen for the first, you know, 200 pages of the book. I was like, have they just forgotten about our boy? And then when I got to that chapter in like the middle of the book and it was like, Loden's alive still. You've been horrifically tortured, but he's still alive. I was like, oh, thank God. I was like, he is going to be saved. I'm so happy. And then it happened and he was, he escaped and him and Belle were just back together again, master and apprentice. And there was just so much heartwarming dialogue and I was I was loving it and then yep then he's dead to to get our hopes up like that and then crush him by the end of the book <laughs> what an emotional roller coaster that was um rest in peace lone great storm he he was he was the best of us <laughs> <laughs> he was and I think the point of like why it was such an emotional thing is obviously because he was such a beloved character uh, from the first book but I just think throughout the book, like Bell's story, I think was just like so well told and like his emotional side, I think was so well told, you know, and there was parts when like Bell would like reminisce about Loden or like he'd like imagine what Loden was saying to him and stuff. So I think it was all that combined with like the love we already have for the character. Um, and like the fact that it was so well written throughout the entire book really stacked up to the emotional, um, I don't know what, but the emotional gut punch that it was at the end. Yeah, I mean, without yeah, the sure. brilliant writing throughout the book, um, through Bell's like thoughts and feelings, um, I don't think it would have hit quite as hard. Because um, obviously, we, we experience Loden's death like pretty much like I know it's not from Bell's point of view, but like he's such an important part of like the, describing almost like the atmosphere at the time. Yeah, which is why I feel like you know you, you're reading it and like. At first, you think that like, Bell's dead or something like the way his emotions are like Bell's like dying. The way his emotions are like written out on the page. Yeah, because he has, always, like, he has the massive the vision that he has. Yeah, you think that it's Bell, and I genuinely thought it was Bell because when you know I, I clocked onto the fact because of the way that people were talking about the book that it, it was probably ending on a death, and or at least there was going to be a big death or you know, something. And I genuinely was like, oh no, Bell's dead. I was like, I can't believe this because obviously it switches from like Bell's POV to Stellan's right at the end. And then 
almost seeing it through Stellan's eyes instead of Bell's almost made it even more painful because literally we just see Bell like just rolling on the floor crying is basically the description. And then obviously Loden there frozen in stone. I just think that, you know, little twist there. I did not expect it to be Loden after everything that happened. And I mean, talk about hard life for Bell. I mean, he's, he lost his master who he thought the world of kind of believed he was still alive, but then had to suppress that feeling, finally found out he was still alive. They were reunited for about 20 minutes and then he died in front of him. I mean, how Bell's going to be in the next book, I have no idea because that poor boy has been through <laughs> the worst experience possible. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to sideline this into like my thoughts about um, how like the High Republic changes from like how we know the Jedi at the moment. And we'll link back into it later, I'm sure. But then how they, um, how they are in like the prequel series, is because like in the prequel series, the Yoda, not Yoda, the the Jedi are very like you know obviously there's like no attachments, and like Yoda is very much like attachments lead to this, that lead to that, lead to this, to like the lead to the dark side. And ever since reading this book. I've been like, there's got to be something, or like, there's a, there's got to be a lots of different things that are adding up. to obviously, by the time the Yoda gets to that point where he realizes that, like, okay, no more attachments. Because I think in this book and the one before, like, the Jedi are given a bit more like free reign to do what they want. Like, they have the rules of the Jedi Order that are fairly similar to the prequels, but they're a bit more like loosely interpreted. And I feel like, yeah, yeah what's going to happen balance. in this next book? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like. Um, obviously there's a big you know thing about attachments with like some of the other characters but I think specifically with like Bell I reckon like there's something's going to happen in the next book and he's going to like go off the edge maybe and that's going to be like the little gets a little ball rolling in Yoda's head that's like alright we need stricter rules here because Yoda's the only one that is, survives between like uh, now and the High Republic and the prequels and he's the one that we see in the prequels being like really hot on like Anakin and like, his attachments yeah. and stuff yeah, you make so I think this is like the. Yeah. I think this is the one of the catalysts that's really getting, um, like driving how we see the Jedi or in like the prequel trilogy. Mm, yeah, yeah, I do think you know that amongst you know some of the stuff going on with Elzar and some of our other characters, I definitely can see sort of some of those threads coming together. But oh, I don't know, and I, I just what Bell's going to be going through now. I imagine it's going to be very difficult. I'm hoping because it's more in the. The, this friendlier time in the Jedi Order's history. I'm hoping that you know, the other Jedi are there to support him and they're not just going to leave him alone because I feel like if Bell's left on his own, he's probably, you know, could end up, you know, turning to the dark side just pure, just through pure grief. And I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that they sort of support him for it. I think Stellan seems to sort of have taken a liking to him in this book. So I sort of hope Stellan's there to sort of guide him a little bit and support him and, but yeah, I just, and I think, I think the reason why it hits so hard is because Loden Greatstorm was tortured for a year, literally an entire year. Like the book was saying that he wasn't allowed to sleep. It was like, anytime he started to doze off, they like injected him with something that woke him up again. He had his, both his leku chopped off him. He was like getting constantly tortured with like music and, you know, the fact that Loden <laughs> was able to survive that amount of torture for a year without turning to the darkness one single bit shows that he is literally the greatest of the Jedi. Like 
there is a line earlier on when Stellan, I think it's Stellan who says like Loden was the best of us, you know, in comforting Bell. I think it was Stellan, you know, when they thought Loden was dead. But that just really goes to prove like the amount that Loden goes through in that year and he's still pure at the end of it. You know, he really is like the best of the order. And the fact that he dies at the end of this book just really pulls away some of the hope that you've got about the way that the Jedi might handle this this current situation that they're in. Because if someone like uh, Loden, who's so good and pure, is dead, <laughs> I mean, who are they left with, really? You know, they're left with your sort of more <laughs> controversial characters um, who are a little bit more, less, a little bit less pure than Loden and so I do think you know you can sort of see where some of these cracks are starting to appear but yeah just it's difficult to put into words the the (laughs) just insane amount of sadness felt by the end of this book (laughs) yeah I mean uh, from like a creative point of view and like storytelling I get I get why they've done it you know you need to set up the big villain and like make him like a really big threat and like the only way you're going to do that is by killing like one of your favorite characters or like one of the, like the main characters, but uh, it still doesn't make it hurt any less. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they have definitely sold me on Marky on row as a villain. I mean, I was already sold after like the Jedi, but this is just like cemented him. He is a twisted, evil, nasty man <laughs> who deserves to get his, you know, just desserts because how dare he? And that's, scary leveler thing which we don't even know what it is yet and i'm sure we'll talk about a bit more um damn it all how dare they (laughs) yeah i mean i think the whole book as a whole i mean it it's this started off i mean like the jedi started off like instantly it was like straight action with the whole like um legacy run like crashing and that was like boom action straight away and i feel like you know, it wasn't it wasn't long into this book as well until like before like the Nile were back and like the action was kicking off again. So I think he's, the whole book has definitely been paced really well, like in a way to like get you even more terrified of the of the villains and you, you know like as his book was closing in that something big was going to happen, um, and obviously something did. So I'm just I think they're doing really well setting up these villains and. You know, we said when we reviewed the last book, like the Jedi, that, you know, they needed something that went up against the Jedi and was like, oh, okay, this is going to be a bit of a challenge for them. And then they've just taken that to the next level. Like, the level or whatever this thing just killed a Jedi, like, dead in its tracks without even trying. Like, yeah, and, and, made, and made both Bell and Elzar just completely, like, stricken in fear I guess is the sort of the only way to describe it like it clearly has some sort of effect on the Jedi which sort of make them like lose their connection to the force or or just be consumed by fear like because the Elzar like crashed his ship at the end because of sort of the overpowering um sort of visions and fear that he he was given and you know the book I think the actual last sentence of the book is for the first time in a long time Stellan Geos felt afraid I think that was like the actual last line I think the line previous yeah. was load and dying but clearly I mean the whole that the thing that the Jedi are really dealing with here is is being afraid you know they're afraid of the Nile this leveler seems to have the power to just make them afraid um and you know if, if there's one thing that we've learned 
is that you know fear leads to the dark sides so i think this is sort of the the big challenge that the the jedi are being forced in this era it's not necessarily you know dealing with a sith and you know all this sort of stuff it's, it's dealing with an a, an enemy that makes them genuinely afraid both because of the Nile's sort of savagery and unpredictability that we see in the in the uh, Republic Fair, but then also with so this, with this level, level up, which seems to um, well, which seems to just make them consumed by fear. I sort of my interpretation of it. Yeah, I, I think you're right there because it's like you know, I suppose whatever this thing, creature, force, I don't know, you know, there's not actually clear what it is it's kind of like the shark in jaws like, we haven't quite seen it yet the anticipation is building um but yeah i feel like the idea of mark and row is just to, to take on or wipe out as many jedi as possible so i feel like maybe if this thing can only kill one at a time the other the other like side goal of it is to just make the jedi useless by yes yeah, striking them down with fear or like you turn them to the dark side so they'll turn on each other like it's, I feel like this thing is caused such like a big ruckus within the Jedi Order. Like it's just such the mystery behind it is almost as frightening as like what it's actually shown to be doing on page already. Yeah, yeah, and uh, again, we don't really know what it looks like. We I mean, like some of the descriptions was it that it was like, you know, like like a beast. It's like primordial, and you know, it was sort of. So I'm almost, almost I know this is probably incorrect almost like picturing that it looks a bit like the balrog from lord of the rings maybe just 10 foot tall instead of <laughs> 50 foot tall i don't know maybe i'm completely wrong there but something sort of beastly and i think almost like semi ghost-like but semi-physical i'm not i'm not sure what i'm picturing but something a bit like that of just some like terrifying beast but also is it sort of more metaphysical? Is it not actually like a... But I mean, it was frozen in ice, so I guess they had to defrost something. So no, who knows? And I'm sure we're going to find out eventually. I'd, I'd like a picture one day. Um, but yeah, the, the leveller is definitely a scary concept and what Marky and Rose is going to do with it for the rest of this era um, does have me genuinely scared because... I have a new favourite character and his name's Elzar Man and he's still alive at the moment. And, um, you know, I don't trust these writers to uh, to let him live and let him have a happy ending. So, you know, someone protect him, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was nice actually as well in this book that I'd say, I'd say most of the story, I will say, I'm going to say like, I think it was split up between like three or four four characters between most of the book i think but i think elzar got the majority of like the page time between him and bell i think had the most and i think he had some of the most well interesting character developments uh throughout the book just uh, his character and then obviously one of the most interesting uh takes on how we've seen jedi's act and behave <laughs> in all of star wars i think one of the most unique jedis yeah. i think we've ever come across yeah i I thought this book was very interesting and I think this is probably what they're going to do with the era as a whole is that, you know, different books sort of focus on different characters like Light of the Jedi. Elzar was present, but it was much more of a focus on Avar Chris, um, obviously Bell Loden. Um, I mean, who else had a big presence in Light of the Jedi? Um, 
you know, like Skier. So, so, you know, there were different Jedis who sort of had more of a focus, whereas in this book, it was Elzar, Stellan, Bell, and then I guess Ty Yorick as well. But like Elzar had much more of a focus in this book. And after the first book, I was like, yeah, he seems like a cool Jedi. Like he's a bit of a rogue, you know, he does what he wants. I like that. He's clearly got a bit of a history with Avar and how's that going to play out. But now this book just completely changed my perspective on the Jedi and, um, you know, everything about them. I mean, Elzar has already jumped to being one of my favorite sort of Jedi characters ever. I, I loved him in this book. Just, just the amount of like relatable human stuff that he dealt with, you know, like from the, just being a man who doesn't ask for help when he needs help sort of aspect of his character to the <laughs> being a Jedi who has a one night stand. And then <laughs> the girl he has a one night stand with just says, yeah, it was just, it was just one night. Would, would you want <laughs> to, you know, him losing control and, you know, tapping into the dark side and then realizing it and, you know, trying to fix that. There was just so much going on with his character that was, you know, I was relatable in this big sort of fantastical book as sort of really was like the emotional sort of anchor for me in this book. And I just really, really felt what Elzar was feeling in this book. And he's a badass, obviously. He's, you know, he's a cool Jedi with a, a blue lightsaber who swings about and, you know, does good action. But also, his, I just felt that he was the real sort of like him and Bell sort of were like the real emotional core of the book. And yeah, I, I could talk about Elzar for a long time, but the, oh, I mean, everything. He 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 broke the rules. <laughs> he he broke the rules. He did the dirty with the fallow lady. And then he commented on the fact that Jedi robes take a long time to take off. I mean, everything was just, <laughs> just spot on with Elzar. It was, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a shock to say the least reading read that on the page. Uh, I feel like it was coming, but us like you know there was there was flirtation hints between um, him and uh, oh, what's that character's name? Samira. So, like, Samira. Samira. Yeah. That's it, yeah. But I was like, oh, they'll never go there. Like, he's a Jedi. He'll you know he'll he'll say no. He'll be wise. No, he's like he does what he wants. Um, and then yeah, I think again as you were saying, like the interesting points of his character is like how he lets like those emotions that build up and build up and instead of just, yeah, asking for help, it ends up um, erupting in like a big, you know, dark side force act where just like yeets an island uh, ship, you know, well, another thing, what I find really interesting is like across like the whole planet, all the Jedi, like they've all, they all knew he did it or like someone did it. Yeah. Like they all sensed it straight away. And yeah, then he had to like reconcile with, with that and eventually he asks he asks for help um yeah which i liked i really like that scene yeah he just straight up just said to stella and like i touched into the dark side like i i stopped myself doing it again but i just need help and i just thought it was such a powerful scene because you could tell that i was definitely a commentary on the uh the modern day man never asking for help uh which i thought was pretty accurate to be honest yeah and i mean i think what this this book has did well is throughout the whole thing is um you know, it, the I think it does it well with uh, Bell and like his new master uh, talking about like the death of Loden, and it's like you don't have to 
it's not like you're shutting yourself away from these emotions. Like you're allowed to feel um, like grief and sadness and stuff, but you've got to keep it in check. Like you can't let it rule you, which I think is, is, you know, that I think that's maybe what some of the Jedi and like the prequel era were missing when it came to like Anakin, you know, it was, it was always, it seemed to be more like you can't do this. You can't do that. It was almost like banned. And I think, you know, I think if Anakin had felt he was able to be like, Oh, I need help. Like, you know, because there's times in the Clone Wars where he's like borderline dark side, you know, and he's been a bit savage with, you know, committing some war crimes. You know, if he'd like had the, uh, you know, maturity or something to like look in, look inside himself and then go to like Obi-Wan or someone was like, I need help. You know, how much more different would the Star Wars universe be that we know? So, yeah, exactly. You know, I think and then it was, it was nice and then- to see. Yeah, and then even in sort of Revenge of the Sith, when he sort of does ask for help, you know, when he's having these visions of someone he knows dying, like Yoda's just sort of like, yeah, meditate on it, you know, shut it off. And I think what what this book is trying to say, and I think what the whole High Republic is trying to say is that it's more about like a balance of just like, yeah, like human beings or aliens with, with living beings, we're like we're going to feel things, but we just can't let those feelings consume us. And I just think that was a way more, well, it's a way more sensible way of looking at looking at emotion and attachment and all the stuff that, you know, is so forbidden in, in the prequel. And you can really see why someone like Anakin would turn to the dark side when the, he literally doesn't have a support circle. <laughs> Whereas, you know, with Belle and Indira sort of at the beginning with like Belle being upset about Loden and her being like, yeah, I am as well. Like, we're allowed to be sad we just can't let that sadness take over and um you know with there's a there's an interesting line in race to crash point tower which is the junior novel um which is about like um attachment and like you know you're allowed to like people you're allowed to be fond of people you just can't let that attachment overtake you it's about a balance between the two i just think that for me personally is a I connect with that way more than I connect with the sort of attachment is forbidden thing. Um, so seeing these sort of discussions within the Jedi order, I think is so much was it's healthier clearly. Um, and it's really good. And I think Elzar is a perfect example of someone a bit like Anakin that with the wrong people around him could very easily end up turning to the dark side. Um, but I don't think that was ever going to happen to Elzar because I think, here as a character is someone who's struggling but he has recognized his struggle and has asked for help and i almost hope in the next book that elzar and stellan are on some sort of like jedi retreat somewhere (laughs) where they're just sort of meditating and talking about their feelings whilst like drinking or something so i think that's probably what they both need as well i think stellan clearly has bottled quite a lot of stuff up as well you know to do with like him grieving for his master who's just died and you know, him being this figurehead within the order that he doesn't really want to be. And I think Stellan's clearly bottling quite a lot of stuff up as well. So I think an Elzar can clearly see it in Stellan because of how close their friendship is, um, which is a great friendship, by the way. Um, so, yeah, I do think that the way that the, the High Republic is sort of tackling some of these big, big conversation points is not only just like massively refreshing, but just like really, really interesting and one of the things I'm loving about this era the most. Yeah, I mean, it just it helps. It just helps to make the characters like more relatable. Because I mean, you know, the character we all related to, and 
yeah, all like the character moments we all relate to and love the most with like the prequel characters, you know, it's like it's obviously everyone and Anakin, but Anakin because you know he's relatable, you know, with these struggles and you know there's and everyone loves at the moments of Obi Wan where he's like, you know, everyone loves it, him and um, who's that chancellor that he you know fell in love with for a bit in the before Just the prequel. Team, that's just a teen, yeah, that's it. You know, everyone everyone clings on to those things about those characters or like hypes and things like that because it just it just makes them more relatable. So I think mm-hmm. yeah, in the higher public, having the characters show their emotional sides and discuss it and stuff like that. I mean, like one of my favourite moments in the book is um when uh they think Chancellor So's died and uh you know you know, and you get to see like a a Jedi's like break down and like it's written in the book, you know, he, he cries, he just weeps holding her body. And I think, you know, that's, yeah, such, yeah. that's stuff we don't genuinely get to see mm. through like, you know, with like the eyes of the Jedi or stuff like that. Cause you know, you get like the emotional ones who we all love and then you get like the ones that just appear to be like robots and yeah. they're the ones that we always just like, Oh, he's a bit of a dick. Um, so it does make them more relatable and it helps yeah. us build that relationship with the characters. That was such a powerful moment, but like the, the fact that not only was Stellan like cradling her in her arms, like crying, but that was being filmed and like put over the entire galaxy and everyone was just seeing this like Jedi cry. And I just think that it's almost like a really meta moment because it's like the, the galaxy's seeing it for probably the first time, but then we're kind of seeing it as readers as well. of like, whoa, like the Jedi, like, cry and they get sad over people dying that's really strange we've never seen that before <laughs> because i mean you know you said it yourself like the, the characters that we you know really related to was always like luke skywalker for example because he was emotional he was you know he was impulsive he he was he was sad about things he was excited about things he sometimes got a little too you know connected attached all all the things that we loved about luke was the things that normal human beings deal with on a day-to-day basis and then you know a lot of the prequel era jedi and i'd argue obi-wan kenobi a lot of the time like there's a lot of times when obi obi-wan does get a little bit more relatable but there's a lot of the time that he's just uh you know he's awesome and he's the best jedi ever but like there's a lot of the time that you're just like is there anything going on inside that head of yours apart from just like being a good Jedi like do you feel anything and I, I think that there is times when he's just completely unrelatable and um seeing this moment with like Stellan who I feel like Stellan is sort of like the Obi-Wan of this era um I mean in the audiobook he literally sounds like Obi-Wan <laughs> but just the, his description as a character he feels like sort of the Obi-Wan Kenobi of this era um seeing him just like break down in tears over the apparent death not actual death but apparent death of the Chancellor I just thought it was a really, really powerful moment and one of yeah, one of the best moments in the book, I agree. Yeah, and I mean even when it, like it cuts to like Bell sometimes and you know, I think there's points in the book where like he was thinking about like Loden and like he was getting like tears in his eyes. Or um I mean like some of my favourite moments is when he's talking about how in like the Jedi, it wasn't until like he realised that what a Jedi's purpose is and you know, that is to like save others and like help others you know it's that attachment to like people in general i think really helped him discover who he is as a jedi so i think in the book you know there was times when he was you know willing to lay his life down to save others and stuff and it's that it's that sort of um like attachment to just you know not a specific thing but attachment to like just people in general and lives in general 
that I think came across really well. And obviously then he's got his little uh, friend Ember, who he's obviously Ember. got quite a close attachment with. Oh, I love um, Ember. <laughs> and yeah, she's it's, it's a female uh, dog, isn't it? Yes. Or is yeah. it a guy? Yeah, he's always like I think a girl dog. I think it's a girl yeah. dog. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she's great. And obviously, I feel like, again, that would be something that in like, the prequel era, Jedi Order would be like heavily frowned upon and probably would <laughs> he would have had to give her up. Yeah, and like, would not have been this, a pet dog. <laughs> no, and this time, like, they're fine with it and they're like, well, you know, as long as you don't, I don't know, do something stupid about it. Like, if someone killed Ember and then he'd go on, like, a dark side-fueled rampage. As long as he doesn't do that, like, everyone's like, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I do think you raise an interesting point. Uh, it's really something that I think Bell was great for in this book, you know, with him rescuing the people off the, the is it the Innovator? The, the big flags yeah. that they've built yeah you know like him literally laying his life down to save people and i think one of the things that is so important to the jedi is that they're the protectors of you know of life you know because the the light lives within people you know life is the, is light and you know they're supposed to be the protectors of that and you know the whole slogan in the high republic is for light and life so you know when it's not an attachment issue for you to turn around and be like, yes, I'm going to save this human being because they're a person and they deserve to live. You know, that's not something that should be frowned upon. That is basically the job of a Jedi, you know, and and Bell does it so many times and see a lot of, you know, loads of the other characters are saving lives, but it's in Bell chap in Bell's chapters. There's, you know, a lot of moments where, you know, there's lines like Bell knew what he needed to do. Like, he trusted in the force and, you know, there were moments where, you know, they'd say, Oh, but you're going to die. And he's like, um, you know, and I trust in the force. I know that, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do and stuff like that. And I just thought those moments were so powerful and, you know, really getting in touch with what the Jedi are supposed to be, you know, these protectors, these people who, you know, they are there to save people's lives and to keep them safe. And I think Bell represented that so well. And he's just such a lovable character, Bell. I really like his character and particularly his relationship with Ember. Um, the the scene when um, he gets harpooned, and, you know, he's he's nearly dying, and his his connection to Ember through the Force is sort of like what he uses to like sort of like keep himself alive, basically. And it's listening to her barking and sort of using that as a way to keep on going and to fuel himself is. I just that was a really powerful scene. So yeah. Uh, that's why I worry for Bell because <laughs> I find myself really, really loving him in this book, and I am worried about him. But yeah, some some really great stuff happening there. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that scene is again just one of those ones, or like when he gets harpooned, that's like you know you 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 build it up to be like, oh yeah, hooray, and then like the next line is like, wow, gut punch, because it was like he was reminiscing about you know uh, fighting training droids with Loden and how. You know, he's blindfolded, so using the force to uh, basically just like fight against the droids. And he's reminiscent about that while dodging his way through um, what are they like, called scavenger droids, or something. Yeah, just, yeah, scavenger. Yeah, they like destroy a ship when they like the ones in them. Um, they remind me of the ones in the, the beginning of the Revenge of the Ship, uh, Sith, and like they latch onto like Anakin Obi Wan ship. I'm assuming it's something similar to that. Those droids. <laughs> oh no, Anakin. Yeah, <laughs> I'm assuming there's something similar to that. But like, yeah. while reminiscing about his training, you know, he gets all the way through, he manages to get past them to then do a take on the big Nile ship. And you're like, oh, sweet. Like, he's there. He's done it. 
bam, harpoons through the gut, and you're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think, what, what is wrong with you, Kevin? I mean, yeah, I mean, let's just do a little bit of a discussion sort of about like the, the sort of the structure of this book. Because like I feel like this book was very much just like building up good news and then just a gut punch of like something bad happening and then just like sort of some good stuff and then another gut punch. And it was just almost just like constantly getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Because obviously the book opens up with Elzar sort of like he goes to Ashla. And he's trying to get back in touch with this vision that he had at the end of Light of a Jedi. And, you know, he's seeing all these people dying and he's like, right, I need to go to Valo. Like, that's what I need to do. And then sort of after that, you get sort of a couple, like we get some nice scenes, you know, we get Belle and Indira sort of at the Cyclops shipyards and that seems to be going all right over there. And you, we, um, we meet this really interesting new character called Udi Dis, who is, um, hanging out with Markion Rowe. He's a, he's a pilot for him, but he's like part of a race of aliens who are kind of force sensitive and they can use it for navigation. And see, so we get to know Udi and he, he becomes quite like a likable anti-hero, even though he's sort of hanging out with Markion Rowe. And then, you know, he gets kicked in the face to death by Markion Rowe, you know, a couple chapters in and obviously yeah, all the build up to the, the Republic fair and, we're constantly being told, oh yeah, it's going to be fine. All of them completely underestimating the Nile. And then, you know, I was just reading it like, you guys are idiots. Like the Nile are going to just invade you. But I never expected it to be like as intense as it was. And then they just appear out of nowhere and just completely destroy everything. And then, you know, you, you think that's getting better. And then the next bad thing happens. And it's just like one thing after another of just like, this is a, a slog. I mean, it's it's not a slog to read. It's like a really quick read because they're nice small chapters and you just keep on going. But a slog in terms of an emotional slog because it's just like a gut punch after gut punch. I don't know what you thought about sort of that sort of the overall structure of the book, but yeah, that was that was definitely how I was feeling with it. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably go back and listen to the audio book at some point, just like while I'm driving to and from work. But I'm just when I re-listen to it, I'm definitely going to try and take note of like a point where you think the character succeeds and then literally the next line, it all comes crashing down. Cause I think it happens at least four or five times across the book. Um, like one of them that just sprung to mind is when I think it's Elzar, I think throws his lightsaber while um, one of the Niles are grappling towards the chancellor to like assassinate her. And um, he manages to cut her like grapple cord and you're right, and you think, all right, sweet, like she's safe. And then just a bomb goes off, like right in front of them all. Yeah. Which yeah, then leads yeah. to the scene of um, where we think the chancellor's dead. Yeah. And it's and like, that's another moment where it's like, it's like, Christ alive. Like, we think that we're all good and Gucci. And then, like, literally, like the next line, two lines down, it all goes horribly wrong again. Yeah. There, there must be at least four or five times in this book where they do that. Yeah. And there's, I think there's another um, time with Elzar as well where, like, he sort of reconciled what's just happened with the island and he's like, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this right. You know, this is my chance now to save lives. And then he just gets thumped in the head <laughs> by Ty Yorick, and then the chapter just ends. <laughs> so it's just it's like the book is just physically smacking you around the face anytime that you have a smile because something good has happened. <laughs> yeah, and then I think I think there is one point in the book. I remember thinking this, I can't remember I actually can't remember what it is. But like something good happens and I was like on the edge of my seat, like 
I didn't want to turn the page. I was like, this is just going to go downhill. But it, it thankfully didn't at that point in the book. But I was like, you've set me up. I must have, you sent me up about three times now to be lifted up and then disappointed. And this time you just lift me up and I can't actually enjoy it because I'm like so worried about what's going to happen next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think the book does that so well that it really is just like a roller coaster the entire way. And as I said, like the short chapters, I think, particularly in like the action scenes in the Republic Fair, just makes it so like you get to the end of a chapter and it's like, well, I mean, I may as well just keep on going. And then you just, it's just like a nonstop sort of, you know, you either get to the end of the chapter and you're like, well, shit, I'm sad. Or you get to the end of one and you're like, oh, this is going really well. Let's see what happens next. And then it inevitably goes worse in the next one. And I mean, there's a there's a whole sort of like 100 page segment in the book where it's just Stellan just getting his ass beat just like chapter after chapter, you know, and he's, he's fighting the sort of Trandoshan Nile and he's just getting his face just pummeled. And then Lorna D comes out of nowhere and, you know, beats him up as well. And then the Chancellor gets blown up and, you know, like Stellan has a rough, a rough time of it trying to protect like the Chancellor and the, the Togruta um, Queen as well. So it really is just like a constant roller coaster of, you know, highs and lows, but predominantly lows, um, which I kind of, I think as like a middle chapter, because this is like the middle chapter of like the first phase of the High Republic, because um, the next book will be sort of the final book of this phase. Um, I think as a middle, middle chapter, it definitely takes the Empire Strikes Back style of storytelling of just like, it just doesn't really end well for anyone. <laughs> And you have to wait until the next one for stuff to actually start going well again. I mean, obviously they, you know, they, you know, save the day in terms of the Republic fair, but you know, a lot of people have already died and the Nile have already made quite a damaging, you know, stamp on the galaxy. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough, it's tough to read. Yeah, it is. I mean, and as I said earlier, like this book has done so well to really make the Nile even more of like a, in immediate threats to the Jedi than, um, than they did in Light of the Jedi. I mean, um, in that book, it was like, this is like something the Jedi's never faced before with like just their hyperspace abilities. And you think, wow, that's like um, obviously such a severe threat. And then in this book, they pose such a threat. And, um, you know, just, they, just for the pure fact that they just kill so many people like relentlessly just for like no reason which i think obviously goes so far against the jedi's way of like obviously you know light and life as as you said even to the point where like some jedi in the the like in the monologues and stuff are like saddened at the fact they have to kill the nile just because of the absolute brutality of what they're doing um, so I think in the first book, it was set up like, you know, really well, of, like why their abilities and like what they can do is like a threat to the Jedi. And I think in this book, they really went in on just like the complete opposite nature that they are and how like just their shit, just their mere presence is such is detriment to the Jedi way and the Jedi way of life. The fact that, you know, the fact that you got the Jedi's feeling upset about having to kill psychopaths <laughs> yeah and like even when they win they're losing because yeah, they're they taking lives keep coming and coming and coming and you know they use the the war cloud and the the music to like rob them of their senses and 
you know, they, they take these drugs so that, you know, they, they just get back up again after being beaten to the floor and having arms chopped off by lightsabers. I mean, the Nile were just brutal. Well, I tell you what, the thing that I loved about the Nile the most in this book, I think the reason why this book stands so above other books is that it wasn't just Marquion Rowe, who's like a really interesting, complex villain. He's brilliant. But just the Nile themselves are terrifying. They're threatening. But because we see the side of the Nile that the Jedi don't, which is like the infighting within sort of the ranks, like Pan, Pan Ata, he's a, he's a, a wild card, isn't he? Because, you know, he this whole book, he was, you know, wanting to challenge Marquion Rowe's authority. He wants to do everything his way. He just wants to go and destroy everything and cause chaos. And then you've sort of got Lorna D, who we don't really know whose side she's playing from one page to the next. And obviously she sends Panator off to his death at the end of the book when she pretends that they're all going to go and attack the Cyclor shipyards and just sends him practically on his own. Um, and obviously he survives by escaping, escaping and killing the rest of his, you know, his Tempest. And then you've got little Zetar and his mech suit who's just sort of getting involved with everything as well. I think the infighting amongst the Nile makes them so much more interesting characters because they have all this power, but they they almost have so much power that they can't agree how to use it amongst themselves. And clearly Marquion sees that as a weakness of the Nile, which is why he's trying to seize absolute control himself. But the constant threats that he's got from Pan, from Lorna, um, from keeping the Nile sort of in line, I just think made them even more interesting as characters. And I particularly loved the scene when, um, you know, Pan is really challenging Marcion, like almost to the point of killing him. And then Marcion just comes out and does a hell of a speech and he's just chanting like death to the chancellor, death to so. And all the Nile were like, yes, we love this. This is what we should do. And that was Marcion really putting his boot down, being like, no, the Nile's mine. Not you, Pan, you big, ugly bastard. <laughs> so yeah, I just, I loved that aspect of it. And we saw it really, really deep in this book, uh, particularly with Pan. I thought it was a really, really interesting character and a, a good foil for Marcion as a as a leader in the Nile. And I just thought by the end of the book, Marcion is even more of a terrifying villain because he's been through <laughs> all of these sort of, leadership challenges basically in this book um i don't know what you thought of that as well yeah i mean there was moments in the book where i actually thought especially during that scene just uh, just for markion's big speech that like, i thought the nile were actually gonna like turn on him just because he's a bit um philosophical maybe is the word i'm looking for you know he's got his he yeah. dreams big while the nile will just like i want to rape pillage and do whatever you know whatever i want right now i don't yeah. care about your your big schemes yeah he's you about know, long-term kind of, plans and they just want like chaos 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 and he's obviously yeah he's i mean they, not a massive physical presence either like pan is um he's more of a thinker but yeah yeah i agree yeah i mean the the nile remind me of like the the psychos from like borderlands you know they're just nuts and they'll just do whatever that gets them the, the, the easiest and quickest way to get them like yeah. going out and blowing things up pretty much <laughs> it's just they'll just join whoever that is so i did think they were going to side with pan um just because i thought he pan did a good job of making mark look a bit weak 
in front of the Nile. You know, we know that he's quite an imposing threat. Obviously, with you know, he's taken out Loden, and uh, obviously at the end of the book, we definitely know he's like an imposing threat. But I think from like the Nile's point of view, like if you're just like a regular like Storm, is it Storm the lowest rank um, or Cloud or whatever? If Strike is the lowest. Strike. strike yeah, if you're just like a regular Strike, are you going to be like, oh, I want to? follow Mark on to like his big grand plan or are you going to be like no I'm going to go join Pan and blow up Coruscant yeah, <laughs> even if yeah. I die trying yeah you know yeah and obviously Mark has a lot of lines about you know you're failing to see the bigger picture Pan and and I think you know Mark right in so many senses because you know he's he's saying that like you know you need to appreciate that the Jedi are strong as hell like you know we can go and blow up a fair and we can you know, we can make ships crash in hyperspace and we can do this, all this stuff but on a one-to-one on a play on a battlefield, you know, with the Jedi, they're not going to win. So they need to, you know, think tactically like, you know, you know, blocking all their communications, using the war cloud, bombarding from the skies, and, you know, jumping out of hyperspace above the city instead of in space where the defenses are, you know, all these things that the Nile can do that Markion gets them to do to win he does that because he he rightly doesn't underestimate the Republic or the Jedi. Whereas I feel like Pan and Lorna and all the others are just very much like, yeah, we're strong. We'll do whatever we want. And I think that's why Markion is ultimately going to win out in terms of his control over the Nile because he, he does see the bigger picture. But, and he sees both the power that the Nile has, but also the, the way that he needs to use it so that they don't just get beat every time because... I mean, if Pan was in charge, they would just get beat every single time. <laughs> no question asked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Like the Nile, obviously, they went to the fair and, um, you know, caused loads of havoc. But how many Jedi were there? Like, not many. Like, it wasn't until the reinforcements showed up um, that, you know, the, the Nile really, like, ran off. But, like, even the Jedi that was there, it was, like, holding their own. There was, a, there was like, a handful. You know, like, like if you, exactly, if you, I think, Mark Owen says at one point, like, you know, we're starting a war here, you know, and it's, they're not going to win a war against the Jedi unless they have, like, some sort of, you know, grandmaster scheme. They just throw numbers at the Jedi. They're, mm. they're not going to win. Like, you yeah, might I mean, kill you could just a put good all, amount, but you're never going to win. Put all Berlin in a room with any of them. He's beating them all up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that man, oh, that, some of the fight scenes that was written in the book with with him is unbelievable. That's some of the best action in the entire book sometimes at yeah. points. Yeah, I feel like we just need to take a very sudden Orbelin segue right here because I absolutely loved the fight scene with Orbelin. Like the fact that he was just giving Lorna D a history lecture <laughs> whilst having a scrap with a lightsaber. And then the fact that, you know, because he's an Ugor and he's basically just living jelly. He just, well, what did he do to the the... the sort of big scorpion Donnie he basically just encased them in jelly <laughs> like his own body oh, yeah because then he like break his he broke his like containment suit yeah and obviously like the, they were like the Nile whoever he was fighting was like oh sweet like we've won this and then, yeah he just like encases him in his own jelly because that's what his actual body is like and it's like you're never going to beat this man like even if you break the suit he's going to 1v1 you as a blob of jelly yeah but all he cares about is history he's just, he's a very simple man of simple pleasures he likes history <laughs> he's an archivist he appreciates 
good artifacts and even in a fight he's still going to explain to you exactly how important that artifact is <laughs> which i thought was so funny it really was one of my favorite parts of the book everything with Orbelin. yeah i mean i think as well because he was written in it started off you know he first met him when uh elza thought uh avar chris gonna be getting off the ship and uh Orba walked off and obviously elza was like extremely disappointed and he kind of just got the vibe that he was like, oh, it's like the loser, like nerdy, like, yeah, it's a librarian sort of fella <laughs> who just arrived. And yeah, obviously like half a page, half the book in, just uh, then we find out that the man is like one of the most badass fighters in the Jedi Order. Like, yeah, can just take on as many Niles he wants while sprouting off a lecture full of information. Yeah. I was like, Christ alive, who is this man? Yeah, I can't I can't wait to see more of Orbelin and like whether it's the comics or the, the books and stuff, because he was a really unique and interesting character and um he he has appeared he's like he appeared briefly in one of the comics that I read like two days before I started the book. And it was just a guy in a hazmat suit, basically. And I was like, who oh, no, is this Donnie? And then obviously I find out who he properly is in this book and that he's just like walking jelly. And I'm like, I've got a lot of respect for <laughs> for this Ugor right here. I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm definitely on Orbelin's team if we're, if we're picking sides here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a character that went literally from like zero to 100 in the space of like two pages <laughs> and it was unbelievable to see yeah he was he was definitely like the porter angle of this book because in like like in light of the jedi porter angle was just like serving soup and just being like a really friendly chef and then there was just that mad scene on el frono and he just murks all the nile and sort of in this book it was like Orbelin was the guy that you were like underestimating and then he just showed his true power I mean, obviously, Porter Angle was again being a beast in this book as well. Him just like riding on the back of Indira Stokes's Vector, which was awesome. Um, <laughs> I, I just love when they do that with characters, when they make you like really underestimate them and then just they prove themselves very quickly <laughs> to be an absolute badass, even if they are like a history teacher. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is why we need uh, like a battlefield 3 with like a high republic uh dlc so i can go around and work people as uh orbelin that's what i need in life <laughs> oh yeah i was thinking i want a jedi fallen order just like a single player um jedi game where i just play as orbelin the entire time <laughs> and just one of the buttons oh, that so you mash. like an indiana jones jedi miss yeah exactly and one of the buttons you mash is just like history lecture and you just mash the button and he just keeps on giving lectures whilst you're fighting <laughs> like doubles the amount of damage you do because you're <laughs> giving a history lecture <laughs> but yeah I agree Battlefront oh, I mean, 3 just yeah. needs to be High Republic Jedi only because there's just so many weird ones that they can throw in there <laughs> yeah I mean I mean we've said this I think talking about you know the comics and the book and the last couple of books in the past but the amount of the variety of Jedi that we've got in like this uh, era of Star Wars is just unbelievable it's just so good. I mean, we've got obviously we've got Orbelin, we've got Bell, we've got uh, Loden, Elzar, Avar, Skier. You know, like the sheer variety is mm-hmm. just there's something for everyone. Yeah, Porter. Like, if I you love want Porter a, yeah, he's class. There was there was a really funny scene when like Bell was ta- I think when he seen like Buriaga and all of that, and they were talking, and then 
he just says something like really blunt about the fact Loden's dead and he didn't do it in like a mean way. I can't even remember exactly what he said. He just said something like so blunt and they all just looked at him <laughs> and then Bell was like, it's fine. But it's just, he just comes across as that like lovable guy who just doesn't really know any limits in conversation. He just says whatever comes to his mind. <laughs> and I just found that so funny. Yeah, I think we need at some point like a, I don't know, like a little shorts book or comic series just about like him and his prime. Cause, oh, like, yeah, it's, allu- yeah. it's alluded to that he's like, you know, what's the nickname he's given? The Blade of Bardotta, yeah. We definitely need a comic series it, yeah. just called The Blade of Bardotta. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just to show him in his prime, just like, I don't even know what he'd be fighting against because there's, you know, it's not like there's any major wars or threats going on much before the now, I don't think, in this I mean, era of the Jedi. It was, but clearly, doing something. it was clearly something for him to get the name that he's got. <laughs> clearly did something significant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think his species are meant to like live for like 300 years or something, so yeah, it could be set even quite a while ago. Yeah, he's in a Crookian. Like, um, a youthful boy. And they were... I, I didn't realise that a Crookians had appeared before in Star Wars. They were they were in like the final few issues of the Poe Dameron comic, which Charles Soule wrote. So clearly that's where he came up with the idea of the Crookians. Um, but they just released like a High Republic picture of what Porter Engel looks like. And I didn't really know what to think he would look like because like the only thing that a Crookies really had was that they've got like grey skin and these two like little lumps on their head, sort of like Hellboy lumps on their head, basically. Um and they release this picture of Porter Engel and he's just like a big fat smiley face guy with like a beard and like long hair and <laughs> he's just like such a <laughs> unintimidating looking guy but to hear this like history of him just being an absolute savage back in the day I'm just like I need to find out about this one day we need this like spin-off comic or spin-off book <laughs> yeah I mean it's definitely needed in like I'm assuming at some point in the higher public uh, runs that they do and they've got to have a spin-off book or comic for this at some point. Yeah. Even if it's just like an anthology, maybe I'm just like stories in history. Yeah. yeah. Stories that we need that need to be told. And well, this is definitely one of them. Yeah. Well, we are getting, I guess it's a good segue as well. We are getting a, um, five issue mini series about Ty Yorick, um, about her like backstory, um, called, hmm. um, monster at temple peak. And it's like a five-issue miniseries written by Kevin Scott, um, set before the Rising Storm about like her going and slaying monsters, just being like a saber for hire monster hunter, learning a bit about her backstory. And she was a character that I had, I really really loved in this book as well. So I'm going to be interested to read that. But I just thought she was really interesting. Um, I'm not sure what you thought about Tyoric, but her relationship in the book with Elzar, I thought was really interesting. I think my, one of my favourite scenes in the book, I say this about a lot of scenes, but there's a lot of scenes I loved, was when the two of them like connected in the Force to like control the big dragons in the sky. And they had that moment when like they sort of both like completely opened up to each other as like Ty being a character who like shut herself off for decades and Elzar being someone who keeps everything close to his chest. And she saw like all of Elzar's memories and like the fact that the first thing he thought about was Ava and then she like sees the two of them falling around as Padawans <laughs> and then obviously she opens up and Elzar sees you know 
some form of trauma from her childhood, which made her leave the, the Jedi Order as a Padawan. Still don't really know all the details yet. I'm, maybe the comic will cover it or maybe we'll find out soon. But I really like that scene. I thought she was a really interesting character, sort of walking that line of like anti-hero, but then ultimately making the decision that like, even though she doesn't want to be part of the Jedi and she doesn't necessarily agree with them, like she doesn't really just want to see an entire planet killed by evil marauders so she is going to sort of help out and i really liked her journey in the book and very interesting to see where that where they take it i don't know what your what your thoughts on ty was you know as one of the sort of main characters in the book yeah i mean i think again this is like a very interesting sort of character that we haven't really seen in star wars before like a like a cell like a ex-jedi cell sword sort of thing um but obviously, like as you said, like her backstory is just full of mystery, and we don't really know why she left the Jedi Order or like what she's been doing since. And I think one of the questions I was at the forefront of my head whenever I, when I was thinking about it was like, why has she still got her lightsaber? Because I'm pretty sure like you you can't really take it with you when you leave. I'm, I'm sure I've read that somewhere. That like if you retire, I think the Jedi like put it in like a ceremonial thing or something. Um, and then obviously if you're kicked out, they just take it because they can't trust you with it. So I'm just like, how has she ended up to still have her it's, lightsaber? It's like a school book. You have to you have to hand it back when you finish. <laughs> you can't just take yeah. it with you. No, you can't yeah. be wandering around the galaxy yeah, just with the weapon that like identifies you as a Jedi, but you can do what you want with it. Like, I don't think they like, like that they uh, approve of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely going to be an interesting backstory to to find out about for sure. And she's got the cool purple one as well, which we always like bright, bright different colors of lightsabers. It's nice that we've got a, a slight. I think I, I I sort of think it's a slightly lighter purple than Mace Windows, but still a bit of purple in there, which is good. Yeah, exactly. Again, I mean another great reason that this is such an interesting era of Star Wars is that we get so many more cool colours of lightsaber. I mean, we've got the classic blue and green, but then even like classic bullet blue and green, like we have like so many different variations of like the way the lightsabers are made. Um, Stellan's, I think he's got like a, a nice little cross guard on his, like a little, yeah. Yeah, from like some of the pictures I've seen. Yeah. He's got a nice little cross guard on his. I mean, um, we got, you know, she's got a purple one. Loden had a yellow one, or is it? Well, I had a white one. Yeah, all the had She's got a white double, yeah, double bladed white one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just. I mean, we have got that. Then we have got all the different Jedi's. You know, different alien species. There's literally something for everything. Everyone in these in these books. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think what else there is to talk about in this book. I mean, I know there's obviously a lot. Um, I guess, yeah, one sort of quite an interesting bit, which I thought, you know, in true Star Wars style, this book got into really interestingly was the the politics. Um, I really found myself liking uh, Lena So, the Chancellor in this book. I thought she developed a lot in this book. Like they developed her a lot in this book. as like a really interesting character. She clearly genuinely wants the best for the galaxy and for the Republic. And, you know, she's got an immense weight on her shoulder to almost do it all herself. And and then you've got little, little Senator Tia Toon, the Sulliston, who I thought was such an interesting character. Like at first I was like, who is this little prick? Like, I really don't like him. But then at the end I was just like, he kind of does have a point. 
I mean, after everything that's happened, he kind of does have a point. I don't know what you thought of all of that, but I just, yeah, that, that conflict of the, um, you know, whether they need their own army and <clears throat> how strong this spirit of unity idea really is and whether you know, the, the Republic Fair was a good use of money to be spent when people are living in fear and all of these sort of big questions that the book was asking, I thought were, were really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it is an interesting debate, I think, between Toon and uh, Chancellor So, because obviously on one hand, we, you get where she's coming from of being like, we don't want to have an army because then you kind of, instead of going out to planets and being like, hey, do you want to join the Republic? You know, if you go with loads of soldiers, you kind of, you obviously feel like you're invading. Like, if you like... A, planet joins the republic and then suddenly like loads of soldiers to show up to be like the police force of the planet then you know it sends the wrong message and stuff so i you get where she's coming from she wants to just rely on the jedi to be peacekeepers and like throughout the galaxy you know just be seen as you know if there's a jedi around you know that you're safe sort of thing but as we've seen in the last few books like you can't just rely on the jedi for things because you, they, it's a big galaxy and the way that the Republic, I suppose, is spreading itself even further out into the galaxy. You know, there's there's not enough Jedi to cover the whole area. So I, I, yeah. I get where he's coming from. Um, I think it would probably, I think it would be definitely beneficial to the galaxy to have some sort of like army for at least a time being. Obviously, with the threat of the Nile, but I can see I can see both sides. I, I agree with you though. I thought he was a right dick, like as the, uh, at the start of the book. But then, as obviously the book goes on, and you get more of the fact that you know he's not trying to, like, you know, one up Chancellor So to be like, oh, I want the power. He's literally just doing it because he thinks that's what's right for the galaxy. And it's like yeah. you know you can't really argue. Yeah. With, you know, he and might not agree with what he thinks, but you know, it's still you know, it's from a noble cause sort of thing. You know? Yeah. And there was that really good scene he had sort of towards the end of the book with Stellan. And he was just like, I genuinely do have the utmost respect for the Jedi. And I genuinely do love the Republic and believe in the spirit of unity, but I'm not going to give up on this fundamental thing that I believe in. And I just thought I was that when you actually heard it from that perspective and you reflected on the book that he never was doing anything dodgy. He was never actually trying to, you know, destroy the Republic or anything. He was just being a good politician who was trying to fight his argument. And whether you agreed with his argument or not, you know, I think I think he was an interesting character and I hope they use him more in the future because I always think the political side of Star Wars is really interesting. I know some people don't, but I, I enjoy it. And I think that he was a good antagonist, not, not an antagonist in the sense of a villain, but he was the antagonist to Lena. So, you know, the the uh the person that she was constantly fighting against and i thought that was just a really interesting dynamic and um particularly when sort of lena so is trying to impress the um oh, what was her name yularic ovets uh the the Togruta, um supreme huntress i think was the term that they had um and i mean i thought that whole storyline was really interesting as well of just like trying to get this sort of like whole other side of the the galaxy this like big sort of mini empire of their own empire in the not imperial palpatine sense but you know this collection of planets in right off in the distance to believe in the republic and to join the republic and i thought that whole storyline was really interesting particularly because you know you hear togruta and you think of ahsoka um but i just 
Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And like, I think one of one of the best scenes from the political side was obviously when they were all cramped in that little pod going between the islands and uh, Tia Toon just went off on one in front of, um, in like at Lena So in front of this Tegruta royalty. And then she was sort of just standing there and like watching this character attack. And I just thought it was really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, the the theme of, as you say, the theme of politics has always been throughout Star Wars. So it's nice to see that they're, they're keeping it, um, they're keeping it in, in this uh, era. And then making it, you know, giving it a bit of like a moral gray area, gray area where it's not so like black and white. Cause I've, you know, it's easy yeah. in a book to write like, you know, like, Oh, this is the good, this is the bad, but you know, it's, it's interesting to, you know, each person reading it can make their own decision about what, who they think is right. You know, I'm sure there's some people reading it that agree with. So there's some people reading it that agree with you know, um, tune. So I think it's very well written. Um, and I think, yeah, I hope to see it more in the future books and I hope that he comes mm-hmm. back as a character. Maybe he can, in the next book, you know, he might be proved right and he might get his defence uh, force or defence programme after mm-hmm. the events of this book. Um, I can see I can see it swinging that way, to be honest. Um, yeah. yeah, I can and see was, so maybe just... wanting to do more for the galaxy to keep them protected. Yeah, and I was just really impressed that you know, in a, in a book that was telling so many stories of so many different Jedi and so many villains and such a huge action scene that they still had time to tell this like really interesting and well thought out political story. And that it wasn't just a subplot, like it was really relevant to the plot of the story because it was, you know, it was the Takruta Armada that, you know, rescued them at the end when the message got out. And, um, you know, like the, the reporter was such an integral part of it as well. And, you know, getting the communication sent out to the, to, to space and, you know, the filming of everything that was happening was very important. And, you know, what Stellan's role is now going to be, because he seems very uncomfortable with this idea that he's going to be like the chancellor's new poster boy and is going to basically be working for her, which is a little bit too close to Clone Wars era sort of Jedi Republic relations, which I think is an interesting point. And yeah, I just thought, all of that worked really well for me. And, you know, aside from the fact that, you know, the chancellor is just an awesome badass with two lions at her side. She's also a very interesting and intelligent politician. And I think that's something nice to see in Star Wars because we normally just see like the Palpatines, you know, the, the bad chancellors, but we've actually got one who's good and is trying to do some good. And she does need a little bit of help because she might be a little too ambitious and a little too underestimating of the Nile. But hopefully I think all the events of this book has probably changed the overall opinion of that. And I don't think they're going to underestimate the Nile again. I hope not at least. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. And this is, as you say, it's nice to see some actual like good, political debates in the Star Wars. I mean, it's always been very apparent the political sides of Star Wars, but God, some of those scenes in the prequels were like they're having some form of debate, like, oh my God, some of them are awful. You know, like you got alien species just shouting at each other, that nonsense, or like you have like the Trade Federation being like one yeah. side of a political group and it's like, oh, this is terrible. Yeah, it was it was it was never really the debate so much as the the, the characters saying it, like the the trade federation and those awful stereotypically insulting accents <laughs> at least at least here we've got some sort of interesting 
interested debates going on amongst an absolute horror show of action. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just hope they keep it up. I mean, I think, you know, you made a good point about how everything going on in the book, they still had time to fit this point in and make it relevant and not just like a small side plot you could forget about. So I think oh, it just it just goes to show how well written these books are so far. I mean, you know, the three I've read have all been paced beautifully. You know, the point, everything in it is relevant. There's nothing in there that's like there to fill pages. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think the High Republic at the moment is on a is on a you know an absolute win streak with the content that's coming out of there, and it's some of the best Star Wars we've got in in, in many years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I genuinely don't. I'm not over exaggerating when I think the Rising Storm is like, in terms of like quality of Star Wars story, you know, is up there for me with, you know, some of the original trilogy films. Like, I just, I just thought the story of this book was so well written. The action was incredible. It felt so Star Wars, but also felt so unique and different at the same time. And I just think the characters are so well-written and so likeable, or in Marquion Rose cases, well-written and hateable, um, that I just think it just completely carries the story. Like, I just find myself connecting to these Jedi characters and some of the human characters, like the non-Jedi characters, so much more than, you know, I I, I have with characters in the past. And that's that's not to to take away from anything that's been done before i just i just think this era is just really handling it so well and because we're seeing characters across multiple books and you know comics etc we get you know getting to know them really well and you know i can tell that you know and then another seven books time if he's still alive like anytime i open up a chapter and elzar's there i'm just going to get really excited that i'm reading elzar or stellan was obviously a new character in this book and i really like stellan as well and Obviously, you've got some of the sort of characters who are a little bit smaller, like Indira Stokes, but I also think she's a really, really cool and interesting character. And then, you know, this book was really good as well and like tying in characters from like the other books. Um, you know, like Vanestra Rowe, um, who has appeared in the High Republic comic in A Test of Courage. Um, she's going to be a main, a big part of Out of the Shadows, the next book coming out, like Vanestra sort of pops up and she's Stellan's old Padawan so there's a little connection there and I've also read Race to Crash Point Tower which is like the story of how the communication tower got turned back on in this book um, as opposed to um, the reporter sending the message out which was something different to the actual communication comlink network getting turned back on and that was told in like a little side story and that was with Ram who briefly bumps into Ty Yorick in this book when they're in the prison. So I just think that the way that they're crossing these stories over and, you know, characters get plucked up and popped in different stories. And, you know, in this book, the Drengir were mentioned, you know, we, there was a chapter with the Drengir, like when um, Ty Yorick was fighting the Drengir and we know that Avar Chris and all those other Jedi aren't in this book because they're busy fighting the Drengir. But we know what's going on with the Drengir because we're reading the comic series and, you know, it's sort of explained and caught up, but really it's just like something really rewarding of like, oh yeah, we're getting that Drengir story, which is happening at the same time as this in the comic. And then this book, we're dealing with a Nile. I just, 
yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. Really, really love this book. And, um, desperately, <laughs> desperately, desperately, desperately excited for the next, well, all the stories that are going to come up after this, but particularly, uh, the fallen star, which is the, the next adult novel written by Claudia Gray, which has me very excited. I'm sure it has you excited as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to ask this. I know the answer is going to be in a long time, but when actually is that book out? Is it like next end of next year? Am I going to wait that long? No, January of January, January, 2022. So yeah, we've got what, six months to wait, I guess. Yeah. Six months. Five months. Oh, I mean, that's not too bad, especially not too far, especially with the, the stuff that's going to come out in between. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still want to catch up with the comic series at the moment. Um, I need to finish reading those issues. Yeah, uh, there's so, um, Tempest Runners coming out at the end of this month, which is the audio drama um, written by Kevin Scott about Lorna D, the Nile Twi'lek, very scary character. Mm-hmm. So that's to come as well. And there's a new comic series starting in. October called Trail of Shadows, which is like a Jedi noir. Th- I mean, there's a lot still to come. So I don't think we're going to get any, um, I don't think we're going to be missing the High Republic at all over the next few months. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like there's going to be any like lull in content between now and the next uh, adult novel, which I am all here for. And I'll be absorbing every single bit of it probably. Yeah, I mean, I've got my copy of Out of the Shadows arriving in the next few days, which is going to be the next book that I'm going to read, um, which is the the young adult novel of this phase, um, which picks up um, quite a few of the storylines from Into the Dark, which is the last young adult novel, which me and you are both big fans of. So it's going to be a lot more Reef Silas and a lot more Comac Vitus and... Um, some of the Nile characters appear again in that book. And the, the reviews are all saying that that's a great, another great book as well. So I'm excited to read that one for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, I might have to uh, order that on Amazon, see how quickly that can get here. <laughs> well, whenever it comes out, I assume. Yeah, well, I think I think it's tricky to get on Amazon because I think they've got a stock issue. But I managed to get a copy on WH Smith because they had like delayed my Amazon had delayed my delivery to like October. Um, and I was like, that's not good enough. I want it now, but it was on WH Smith. So I've managed to get a copy, um, which I'm looking forward to reading. And it's just going to be another nice high Republic book up on my shelf. My collection is slowly growing. <laughs> you need a new shelf soon. Exactly. I'm going to have a shelf, which is just going to be high Republic stuff eventually, which is exactly what I want. Um, but yeah, have you got any, any, anything else you want to add in terms of the rising storm? No, I mean, uh, I think that's it. I mean, to be honest, I think we could probably sit here and talk about it for another, like, two hours. But I think for the main stuff, I think that's all covered. And I think my thoughts are out there. And basically, to sum up, is if you haven't read the book or, you know, you are debating whether to get into the High Republic still, go buy it and go read it and go read it all. Because uh, it's some of the best Star Wars content we've gotten in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just, I mean, I can echo that as well. I absolutely love the book. Um, continuing to love this era of Star Wars a lot. I mean, I'm starting to get to the point where like the High Republic might just be my favorite era of Star Wars. 
just in general. I mean, I'm absolutely loving all of it. This book's been absolutely fantastic. As I said, I've I've read it once and I've listened to it once and both times it hit Elena, I was absolutely loved the book, even though it made me sad and in a lot of pain and anguish. Um, it really is great, great action, great characters. Um, if you love Jedi, you lo- you will love these books because it's just the most interesting and relatable Jedi characters we've had in a long time. And as soon as there is an Elzar man Funko Pop, I'm going to buy 30 of them and create a shrine because <laughs> he's like my new favorite character now <laughs> because not only is Elza man a great jedi he's also a shagger so we have to appreciate <laughs> Elza man <laughs> the man yeah i mean i haven't even thought about like the uh the m- merchandise that's going to come along with the imminent you know apparent success of this this era of star wars like you know star wars has always been one of those things for like action figures etc collectibles etc so i'm anxiously waiting um at the moment i'm furious that we haven't even had a funko announcement i want funkos i want the only bit of merchandise available is t-shirts and there is a really nice t-shirt with like the republic fair poster on it which i'm very tempted to buy um but yeah, if, if there was a Funko range with like Elzar, Stellan, Bell, Loden, Avar, Skier, oof, I would I'd be buying all of them. I'd have a lot of yeah, money would be, be spent. A geode. I want a geode. <laughs> Funko pop. <laughs> I've said it before yeah, and I'll geode. say it again. <laughs> That'd be unbelievable. Take my money. Right. Well, thank you very much for listening to this probably a bit longer than normal uh, episode of life from Vader's castle it's been our book club episode talking about the rising storm by cabin scott um and i'm sure much of the high republic stuff we will continue to talk about in the podcast for many weeks to come so if you're if you're a fan of the high republic and you enjoyed our discussion today and want to hear more then keep up to date with our podcast um for more high republic discussions and next week will be a, a big Bad Batch-centric episode because we obviously had the brilliant episode 15 of the Bad Batch out the other day, which we are not discussing until next week when we have that and the finale to sort of talk about at the same time. Um, but me and John love the episode that just came out, so we're excited to talk about it and hopefully talk about a brilliant finale as well. So that's what you've got to look forward to. And... Um, you can uh, follow our podcast on all your podcasting apps. It's just Live from Vader's Castle. And you can follow us on Instagram at Live from Vader's Castle as well. We've been we've been putting some great stuff up on the Instagram recently, haven't we, John? If you want to see all our Lego exploits, there's all sorts of stuff over on our Instagram to uh, to check yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's some clean Lego um, book posts on the Instagram at the moment. So if you're interested yeah. in that sort of Star Wars stuff, head over there and have a look. Yep. And then we're also on Twitter at Vader's Castle Pod. So um yeah, check us out on all our social medias. Oh and TikTok as well. We 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 we, we do have a TikTok at Live from mm-hmm. Vader's Castle as well. Was it Live from Vader's Castle Pod? Something like that. I did a little TikTok the other day because I'm trying to be a young whippersnapper and uh <laughs> try to figure out how you 
how you get views on that platform because that seems to be like a big place at the moment. So I did a little thing about the High Republic. Um, so maybe we'll do more stuff on TikTok soon. Who knows? It's still a little bit too. Both of us are kind of boomers, so it's a bit difficult to get to get to grips with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Boom. Right. Well, that's that's been the episodes. And, uh, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for being here as always, John. Another great discussion in the bag. Yeah, it was a great discussion. I very much enjoyed that. And I hope you guys listening too uh, did as well. So thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week. Bye. Bye.